This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollock. Two former state championship wrestlers are competing Team USA in early July. I'll tell you more about these two women. A state representative from the Kansas City area is throwing his hat into the state Senate race. You can take a flight on a World War II era bomber in Jefferson City this weekend. And the High Point Theater in St. Louis is hosting a filmmaker showcase that screens work that was written, shot, directed, and produced by people in the St. Louis area. Cameron Connor is with Chris Clark of Cinema St. Louis. Chris, welcome. How many pieces of work have been featured at the Whitaker's St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase? So this is the 23rd annual um, showcase. Um, and all that time, we've presented uh, over 2,000 works by St. Louis area filmmakers and expatriates who escaped our shores and work in you know, Chicago or New York or LA or, you know, sometimes even other countries. There's a guy from Webster Groves who's living in Spain right now who submitted a film for the event. So we're hugging the planet. But the main connective tissue is St. Louis and St. Louis area filmmakers and, and those with strong connections to the area. Uh, and, you know, what is that art community specifically about? So um, it's grown over these 20 years. Uh, you know, the, the technology has changed many times over in the way you even record uh, a film. Um, you know, early, the first version, there were films that were shown on film. And then many types of tape formats and discs and things. And now everything is digital and through the air and, you know, imagination still comes out the other end on the screen. So that's what makes it you know, consistent and wonderful. Wonderful indeed. And one thing that I'd love, it's just a curiosity question for this, this version of, of a Whitaker showcase is just the fact that the International Film Festival has go, has been going on a little bit longer than this one, correct? Yes. Uh, this year will be year 32. 32. Perfect. Yeah. And, and where I want to go with that is, so Cinema St. Louis has been doing this for a while now. And when did it really come into light that they said, you know what? Hey, we want to do one that's just local, that represents the area, that has ties to St. Louis. Do you know when that started or started to develop? I do. <laughs> um, it actually was <laughs> not originally our event. Um, there was an organization the year that it started in 2001 called um, the St. Louis Film Office. And there, uh, there's now another one, a different version of it, that's, that's part of the Convention and Visitors Commission. Um, there's a Missouri Film Commission, and there are similar entities and offices in other cities and other states all across the country. Uh, that promotes filmmaking, you know, whether it's commercials or, or, or features or shorts or whatever, you know, um, industrials, any kind of you know filmmaking process that happens, they promote that. Um, it uh, did this event, and it was wildly curated, and they knew even then that summer that their budget was ending at the end of the year, so they just threw a big party and just you know threw everything in the sun. Anyone who submitted something. Uh, showed it um, but it was celebratory still at the same time uh, even although uneven uh, in this curation uh, <clears throat> people loved it so at the end of the year when that office closed you know that event was then homeless um, and the powers that be that sort of you know took over some of the uh, duties that that office had been you know answering questions about filmmaking in the state and, and city uh, people that were then in charge of that said well hey do you guys want this event. Um, and I think that man was uh, one of those people involved was Kim Tucci, who was involved in the politics and the convention center and was later our board president uh, later in time, you know, kind of connect all the dots and 
And we said, oh, sure. And at that time, the only event that we had was the International Film Festival. This was our second event, and that was part of the reason we changed our name shortly after that to Cinema St. Louis, the original name of the organization also um, was the St. Louis International Film Festival because it was all they did. Then when we started adding events uh, like this one, uh, which is you know, our second biggest and, you know, in many ways, most cherished event, just made us grow you know, to the point where we are today. It absolutely has. And for anyone who's just tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with the artistic director of Cinema St. Louis, Chris Clark, talking about the 23rd annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase. Screenings for that are going to be starting July 21st. Now, Chris, there's 91 films that are going to be available for this. So <laughs> I wish we had time to showcase and talk about all of them, but we'd be here for about three and a half, maybe four hours. And <laughs> unfortunately, we don't I'm have sure, that. And I could keep talking. Yes. <laughs> no, absolutely. This conversation could be endless. But one thing I will have you highlight is at least the sections or the categories that all 91 of these films are in. Can you give us some tidbits about that? Sure. Like, um, you know, like the International Film Festival or any film festival of this size, um, and it would be possible pretty much to see everything, and it could be overwhelming with large numbers. But those 90 films, 91 films are broken down into 17 programs spread out over two weekends, and they're sort of loosely you know, grouped together by genre uh, in, in, in somewhat um, thematic groupings. Um, <clears throat> there are some narrative feature films. Uh, there's a sci-fi thriller called The Box, for example, that's about Aliens uh, descending in St. Louis and, uh, and, and infiltrating uh, <clears throat> the world. Uh, there's documentaries about, um, you know, bicycle racing and uh, <clears throat> uh, a dance craze from a nightclub in downtown St. Louis in the early 2000s that still exists today. Um, just, you know, interesting factoids about that and interesting stories. Um, <clears throat> there are documentary shorts programs that put similarly themed short documentaries together. There are, there are eight narrative shorts programs. You know, one of them is more um, comedic in nature. There are several dramatic programs. And the local filmmakers love to make horror and slasher films. And if that's not for you, that's okay. But they're really pretty good at it. And the people that do like those sort of things really love what these guys do. And girls. Uh, there's you know all kinds of people who make these films. A little bit of everybody. Um, so they're place over these two weekends at different times and uh, uh, each program is a unique ignition uh, we own a theater now which is great so we can take our time and you know, get, in, get in these big crowds uh, in and out and uh, the filmmakers will be there in attendance excitedly with their cast and crew and friends and family and uh, and people who are interested in just seeing what the local filmmakers are, are capable of and just because they're not in New York or Hollywood or California or Chicago or somewhere with a big film center, it doesn't mean they're not just as good. And they are. And quick little thing to add to that, just because it is still really relevant in recent news. Congratulations again to the point that you, Cinema St. Louis, does have a new official permanent home in the High Point Theater because you all are now the new owner of it. So all of those films will be held in, in, that, in the High Point Theater, correct? Yes, and that's, you know, so exciting. Uh, to have, you know, a permanent home for one. We've worked really hard these past six months. You know, there are many nights where I have to be there and, you know, make popcorn and mop the floor and sell tickets and whatever it takes, you know, as a small arts organization. But we're very excited to, you know, not just be there, but to have our, you know, our first big, huge event there um, on that beautiful corner right across from Forest Park. 
Oh, yeah. And it's so exciting. And one of the other things that I'd love to ask is, since this is the 23rd annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, and basically to qualify, you have to have some sort of deep St. Louis tie, especially being from the area, or at least, you know, historically being around that area now, wherever you are. Are there any returning filmmakers or producers that maybe they haven't done it any every year, but they've at least participated quite a bit? This one doesn't qualify as quite a bit, but I, I must say that um, the film that I mentioned earlier, the sci-fi thriller called The Box, about you know, aliens descending on St. Louis um, <clears throat> through a time portal. Uh, it's very important to the story. Um, Dovid Linder, the director, had a narrative feature film in the very first showcase that was held at the Tivoli Theater that was produced by the St. Louis Film Office. And I went to go see that. It was, it was a, uh, a modern Western called Defiance. Uh, that it was shot in Defiance, Missouri. Um, but you know, he is returning now, 23 years later, uh, to be to be in the event again with his okay. uh, most recent feature film. So that's interesting. There's always a handful of people, and uh, you know, there's a couple of film schools in town. And so I see filmmakers submit films, you know, when they're sophomores, juniors, and they're in their senior project, and then they're out in the world making other films. Definitely little building blocks all, along the way, and it's great to see Lots of people that are returning to it. One of the things that I think is interesting about this is Cinema St. Louis is also going to be offering three free master classes that, fo- that focus on all of the key aspects of filmmaking, right? Yes. Well, not all of them, but uh, the three that we're choosing this year. Um, one is about legal issues. Um, one is on film criticism. And another is in conjunction with uh, the Missouri Film Office. Um, has had a script writing contest for the past oh, eight or nine years, I believe. And the last couple of years, they have a new adjunct part of that program where they have funding to make these winning scripts into um, actual short films. So we're going to show three of those films and talk to the writers and directors in the process of getting it from script to screen uh, on a modest budget um, on an independent level in Missouri. And one of the most important questions that I love to wrap up with just just because, you know, it's it's a great way to get the information out there and also make it easier to find any information about Cinema St. Louis. For anyone who needs or wants to find the information, whether it's about Cinema St. Louis in general or about the 23rd Annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, where is the best resource for them to find all that information? At our main website, which will lead you to the you know all of our events, um, the High Point Theater Film listings, uh, the event listings such as this for the St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, everything is easily indexed there from the main page, which is cinemastlouis.org. We don't spell out the saint, so it's um, cinemastlouis.org. All right, fantastic. Well, once again, this is Chris Clark, the Artistic Director for Cinema St. Louis. We've been talking about the 23rd Annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase. Screenings for that start July 21st. Chris, thank you so much for your time here on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Hey, always good to talk to you, Cameron. Thanks. And if anyone's tuned in late, or if you want to hear more, play this back over again, share it in any way possible, make sure to search Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, wherever you get your podcast. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
If I could be you. And you could be me for just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Many business owners and entrepreneurs today are drowning in unsecured debt and just can't stop incurring more. Business Debtors Anonymous is a 12-step recovery program where you will receive support for doing business and living life without incurring new unsecured debt. Business Debtors Anonymous offers meetings every day where members support one another to help them stop incurring new unsecured debt. You're not alone. Visit helpfordebtors.org. That's helpfordebtors.org. AA made all the difference in my life. I noticed that most of the goals I had as a kid were slipping by. I didn't feel like the person I hoped to be. After all those years of drinking, I, I really didn't know myself. When I was out there drinking, I was always looking for the next great party to make me feel all right. With AA, I found a better way of life. And I feel good in my everyday life, even without a drink in my hand. Visit AA.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training, along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Uh, coming up this weekend at the Jefferson City Airport, the B-25 Mitchell Bomber, the Berlin Express, a plane similar to what was used during World War II, uh, will be on display and available for rides Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll find out more about that, but to learn more about the plane and uh, some of the things that will be taking place at the airport this weekend is Lance Campbell. He's with the local chapter of the EAA, the Experimental Aircraft Association. Lance, nice to talk with you. Hello, Bill. Thanks for having me with you. Yeah. Well, these are fascinating planes, these uh, B-25s. Um, they were part of World War II. What can you tell us um, about the, the B-25 Mitchell bomber and, and how it was used during World War II? Yeah, it uh, it was one of the, the the critical aircraft in World War II. Um, produced heavily in the uh, early 1940s, uh, specifically the uh, the Berlin Express that is going to be uh, coming to Jeff City was uh, uh, accepted into the Air Force in 1943, uh, built in 1942. Uh, this particular aircraft uh, has sat in the the EAA museum for decades. They acquired it in the 
and then uh, started a restoration process on it after it had been in the museum for a while. And what was going to initially be a restoration process uh, there in the museum uh, just kept going and going, and they realized at a certain point, it's like, you know, I think we, they can get this back to airworthiness status. And about four years ago, uh, they succeeded in that and uh, got it back to a flying status. And they have since been uh, taking it out on tour, uh, showing it to the public, uh, being able to share their love of aviation and history. And uh, we've got an opportunity with this upcoming weekend for it coming through mid-Missouri on a stop with us. Um, These types of Types of visits with these types of aircraft are not very common. Uh, they, they seem to happen maybe every six or seven years. So if someone's interested about seeing this type of aircraft up close, this is a, a pretty good opportunity to do so. Yeah, the B-25 Mitchell bomber will be at the Jefferson City Airport on Thursday and then available for rides for uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we'll give you some of that uh, info. But, uh, Lance, I'm assuming if people don't want to take a ride that uh, they can take a look at the plane while it's on the ground. Take us inside a B-25. Uh, and what would we be looking at? Probably not a lot of comfort for U.S. airmen. Uh, that is well said. You are correct. Uh, there's kind of two main compartments, and uh, that this also applies to if, if someone's able to take a ride. The front compartment has a pilot and co-pilot, and then there's a couple stations right behind them. Um, I believe that might have been a radio operator and then someone that would also transit a tunnel up under the nose to be able to get to the bombardier's position up in the front. Kind of separating the the middle of the aircraft, which made it very difficult for air crews to get from the front to the back, is the uh, bomb bay compartment. But uh, aft of that is a a larger area that is where the waste gunner's positions were and also where you could crawl through a tunnel to get to a tail gunner's position. But as far as the the rides this weekend, um, there's... Uh, flight stations or, or seats in both those positions. So when they when they do take a flight, they can take eight people at a time, and uh, two in the forward uh, position and six in the, in the back. Have you ever had a chance to uh, speak with any of the pilots uh, to describe what it's like flying a, a B-25, what it was like to handle? Um, I actually have. Uh, I was fortunate enough uh five or six years ago to be able to fly in one myself, and it's a phenomenal experience. It's kind of hard to appreciate the, the power of this type of aircraft when, unless you're in it, and you can just feel it in your chest as uh, the, the two large radials uh, go to full power when they're taken off. Uh, the, the plane itself has two 1,700-horsepower uh, radial engines. They're 14-cylinder uh, radials that take a lot of uh, uh, care and maintenance uh, to keep running properly. So, Yeah, they had to carry uh, over a, a ton worth of bombs and be able to travel long distances, and it moved pretty fast when it was loaded, too, and it still got up to, what, like 300 miles per hour? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's <laughs> cooking. <laughs> pretty high performance, especially for the day. I mean, it, uh, it, and that's one reason it was such a critical aircraft uh, for the uh, war effort. The B-25 Mitchell Bomber Berlin Express uh, will be on display at the Jefferson City Airport this weekend, and we're with Lance Campbell, uh, a member of the local chapter of the Experimental Aircraft Association. 
in some pretty interesting history of the Berlin Express. Now, the name would suggest that this thing flew over Germany and dropped some bombs, but the, the plane on display, it wasn't used in battle, but it was it actually became more of a movie star eventually. Yes, that's correct. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, the movie that it was in, um, and I don't recall what that was. But, yes, you're correct. And the, when they went through the restoration, it was restored to that paint scheme and uh, livery uh, as displayed in the movie. Yeah, yeah, it was used as a, a training play. You know, Lance, to, to kind of step away from the plane itself, what I find amazing is that the Army, and I, I guess all branches of the military used this plane, so it was pretty um, uh, adaptable to, to each of the armed forces. But the Army reaches out to contractors in 1939, and they say, hey, we, we need a bomber that can carry a ton of bombs, literally over 2,000 pounds. It's got to travel fast, go a long way. That's 1939, and in three years, the plane is being used. That, that's just... Uh, amazing innovation and the ability to get that much work done because there were a lot of these that were built b-25 mitchell bombers there you know we're not just talking about a handful no there was there was around ten thousand of these built uh, back in the day and and you're completely correct the the effort in the condensed time frames that applied not only the B-25, but all of the aircraft of that era are kind of staggering, uh, especially considering to today's time cycles. But, uh, you know, but of those 10,000 that were built, uh, you know, there's only a handful of them that are airworthy and uh, still flying today. So it's a pretty unique opportunity to see one and, and I mean, much less uh, be able to take a ride in one. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So the B-25 Mitchell Bomber, the Berlin Express, will be at the Jefferson City Airport starting Thursday and then available for rides Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, each day on the hour at 10, 11, noon, and 1. Lance, how long of a plane ride do people get? So the entire experience is about an hour. Um, the, the, the actual in-air time is around 18, 20 minutes or so. Um, but by the time you go through briefing and safety and, and get settled into the aircraft, um, and then you've got normal ground operations coming and going. But actual in-air time is about uh, 18, 20 minutes or so. And it'll be nice and low. It, the, the normal flights are around 1,000 to 1,500 feet in altitude. So you're going to see the countryside quite well. And uh, the, the view uh, from, uh, from the aircraft is pretty stunning at that altitude. Um, it's, it's not going to be going up to a normal operational uh, altitude. It's uh, much more scenic. All right. So we're not uh, flying over uh, Lawrence, Kansas and dropping any Mizzou paraphernalia. This is just a... <laughs> <laughs> afraid not. That would, be a, that would be a worthy goal, but afraid not. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm assuming people need to sign up in advance. How do they do that and how much does it cost? Sure. Um, if a person's interested, uh, they can simply go to the website or Google flythebeat25.org, and that'll get them to a place to where they can sign up. And essentially, you pick which day you would be interested in. Uh, last I uh, checked, uh, you know, I think there's about a third to half of the seats may already be accounted for. But uh, they're, and if I think if they get completely booked, uh, they may add an extra flight or so if necessary. So you don't really pick your time. They fill them in um, as the um, as they have a full load. 
Gotcha. Um, the prices is, uh, if you're an EAM member, it's 425 If you are not, it is 475 and that will include a one-year membership to the EAA. Um, as expensive as that is, that's not much above what it costs to actually operate it per hour. So it's a fairly expensive aircraft. So that's one facet of it being such a unique aircraft. Um, if you're not wanting to do the ride, um, you can come out once the flight operations are done for the day. Uh, they switch to uh, a uh, ground tours being available, usually around 2 o'clock onward, uh, like 2 to 5. Um, uh, under 8 and veterans, there's no cost to that. Uh, for everybody else, it's 10 bucks for that um, or a family for $20. If you just want to come out and see it and talk to the crew and get a little history and do something uh, on a nice uh, afternoon. Yeah, a little history from the greatest generation that put together the B-25 Mitchell bomber. Lance, as we move further and further away from World War II, do you see the interest in these planes and the equipment? Do you, do you see that declining with younger generations? You know, that's a great question. Um, the, the EAA puts on uh, the, the world's largest air show up in Oshkosh. And I've, I've been up to it a, uh, half a dozen times or so. And, you know, on the one hand, you think that that might be taking place, but the interest around what is commonly called the Warbird section that, that has the, the B-25s and the B-17s or the P-51s, you know, it seems to, to garner a lot of interest across all ages. And if anything, it's just probably a little harder to identify these days because you just don't see the aircraft out and about as much. So, um, but, you know, the larger venues or something like this to where you can see it and connect with it, um, you know, can, can have a surprising impact and maybe trigger someone to wanting to start an interest or career in aviation. Yeah, this weekend at the Jefferson City Airport, Thursday through Sunday, the B-25 Mitchell bomber, plane similar to those used during World War II, on display, and you can take a ride, too. Lance Campbell, thank you so much. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be able to uh, help out Bill and uh, spread the information. So if someone's interested, then come out and take a look at it. And don't forget, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast. Go to Apple and search Show Me Today. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try all the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. 
For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Back on Show Me Today, campaign season. It always seems like it's campaign season, but it's in full swing. Candidates locally, statewide, and nationwide hitting the campaign trail. One candidate vying for your support is Republican Representative Doug Ritchie from the Kansas City area, who is running for the open Senate seat uh, vacated by Denny Hoskins. Here's Anthony Morbeth. Your campaign announcement that you made on Twitter, the one that says for 25 years I've pastorally served uh, and that sort of thing. I'd like you to explain that in more detail for our listeners. Yes, uh, most people know that I uh, have been a uh, senior pastor. I've been involved in pastoral ministry for 25 years. And in that context, I've served people from all all walks of life. Uh, I've pastored farmers and bankers to uh, welders and doctors to uh, people that hold a high school graduate, um, you know, the high school diploma, uh, to PhDs. You know, I've pastored people who were who were uh, severely impoverished to, and, and those who were wealthy, and I think that that uniquely positions me to to serve uh, in the Senate district, which is a, a very diverse district. I mean, it runs everywhere from from Liberty, uh, Missouri, uh, which is uh, suburban, all the way, you know, to Howard and Cooper counties. Uh, it is a diverse. 
uh, district and, uh, you know, serving people over 25 years uh, that come from all walks of life has uh, definitely given me an opportunity to to get to know where people actually live, you know, what their hopes are, what their uh, challenges are, their failures, their their fears. Uh, you know, I've I've uh, sat with people in their living rooms and in hospital rooms and funeral parlors and boardrooms. Um, you know, and it's just um, a, a joy to to serve people uh, as a pastor, and it gives you a front row seat to uh, what happens in life. So, you know, as a pastor, I'm not I'm not uh, serving as a state rep, nor will I serve as a senator uh, to represent pastors. I'm I'm looking to represent uh, Missouri families that are trying to live their lives, uh, would like to be left alone, and um, have their liberties um, uh, protected and preserved. How does your experience as a pastor helping the poor and the wealthy and the struggling and the farmers translate to, uh, I guess you could say, the people's work in Jefferson City? Sure. Well, as you're well well aware, I spent uh, over a year preparing for a race to uh, secure the responsibility of, of Speaker of the House. And while I was running for Speaker, I, I ran into a common uh, comment, both from constituents, colleagues uh, in and around the building in Jeff City, as well as conservative uh, Missourians statewide. Uh, and that statement was this, Doug, you need to run for Senate. Uh, you, can, you can accomplish far more. You can have more of an effect for conservative principles uh, in the Senate than you can for a short stint as uh, Speaker of the House. And, you know, I listened to that, and uh, they were right. And what, um, what I've seen as a state rep now uh, in my third term is that there are a lot of conservative uh, necessary policies that uh, we we can easily pass out of the House. And I've just seen too many times good policy die in the Senate for lack of support. And I think that as a, as a pastor, I'm accustomed to having to think very analytically through complicated issues and, you know, weighing, weighing the, the, the pros and cons and thinking in light of not only the, the need of the people, but what is fundamentally right and what's fundamentally wrong and uh, communicating those, those um, important details. And, I mean, that's, that's what I do. And I think in the Senate, because of the nature of the debate that takes place on the floor of the Senate, uh, I will be able to put to use that skill set uh, for the benefit of, of this district. Something that's been in the news, not just recently, but I would say for the past two, three years in the Missouri legislature in Jefferson City, are uh, various bills that the legislature passed in regards to the LGBTQ community. A lot of the bills, at least two in particular I could think of that passed, are, are directly pointed and aimed at that community. Now, I don't necessarily want to pick apart the bills themselves, but what I'm actually asking is how you can... I guess, lobby and receive the support from that community, considering uh, those bills, uh, I would assume, dramatically hurt your chances of getting support from members of that community. Sure. Number one, uh, you know, as a as a uh, husband, father, uh, Missouri resident, uh, I I don't 
I don't work in a space that plays to identity politics. I start at a, at a fundamental level. We are human beings created in the image of God. We, we share national identity. We are Americans. We share a state identity. We are Missourians. And Missourians need to be um, respected. Uh, there's dignity in human life. And, uh, you know, I have no problem whatsoever with engaging people that disagree with me. Uh, quite frankly, I, you know, I've engaged a lot of people over the years who, who hate me. Uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bother me. You know, I, I, I will respect people who disagree with me. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't play into identity politics. Uh, what I do is I look at whatever issues in front of us. Um, I, I talk to folks. I listen to them. I, I make the best possible decision with the information at hand, and I'm willing to be held accountable for those decisions ultimately as a legislator. Uh, the bills that we passed here the last session uh, were important bills, and I have supported those efforts now for uh, three or four years as they've been uh, moving through various uh, committees that I've been on uh, during that time. And quite frankly, there are people even from that community that recognize the importance of protecting children uh, from uh, harmful um, hormone treatments, uh, protecting children from, you know, physical alteration. So, you know, it's not that that, that that community is monolithic in its perspective either. I would point them to what we have been doing uh, in the legislature, uh, what I have personally been involved with and voted for and even voted against uh, for you know, my three terms. And that is, you know, we are looking to make sure that we uh, work toward tax cuts that, that help people, no matter what community they happen to be a part of, to help people when they're trying to launch into to business endeavors, you know, home-based businesses, what have you. That is a benefit to people, no matter what community they're a part of. Uh, protecting constitutional um, rights and freedoms that benefit everyone, no matter what community they're a part of. So I, there, there are a lot of things. You know, I've, I've been a part of the budget process and, and, and have, have held, um, you know, uh, leadership positions within the, the House on budget. And, you know, when we're looking at uh, uh, overseeing the way that we prioritize uh, uh, state taxpayer resources, I mean, that benefits everybody, no matter what community you're a part of. So I, I think that uh, it's easy to, to look in at one particular bill and say this helps this group, it doesn't help that group. But the, uh, the broad landscape of everything we do in the legislature, uh, the goal is to make sure that we're serving Missourians and not who they are. What pieces of legislation, what bills have you yourself specifically passed, both in this session and in previously? Sure. Yeah, so I have been very involved on a, on a number of different uh, efforts, uh, whether you're talking about public safety, you know, I, in my very first session, I passed a piece of legislation that uh, helped to create a, a new funding uh, mechanism for a law enforcement memorial uh, in our in our region. Uh, I, I helped to pass, I filed legislation with Senator Luke Meyer that helped to rectify the defund police effort in Kansas City. Uh, I, I filed and, and worked with, again, Senator Luke Meyer to address a, uh, a problem that was creating a, um, a hiring challenge for the Kansas City Police Department when it came to the residency uh, requirement. 
So on the law enforcement side, public safety, you know, I have filed and passed uh, important legislation. When it comes to uh, other matters, uh, I, I played a, a significant role in terms of uh, getting funding uh, put together for the broadband expansion. That's so very important to, to, to Missourians that live in areas that have no access to high-speed Internet. I chaired the, the Federal Stimulus Appropriations Committee uh, that had to kind of work through, you know, how are we going to do that? What are we going to prioritize? You know, what, what money are we going to move that direction? Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that that's, that's now uh, beginning to, um, to, to come about on, on the ground. Um, I championed the, uh, the state IT overhaul, um, you know, at the same time. You know, there, there are so many antiquated systems within state bureaucracy that frustrate everyone from state employees to, to um, state taxpayers, to people who are trying to, to run their businesses. And um, I just said, you know, it, it's time to, to put these antiquated systems behind us and move ourselves into the 21st century. And uh, that's, that's coming about. You know, I'm, I'm excited about that. You know, it's going to take some time, but we're already beginning to see the needle move uh, in terms of the IT overhaul. Um, I filed and, and passed what's, what's been identified the most significant piece of, of education reform um, in, in recent years. When it came to fixing the funding glitch uh, in in public education for our public charters, uh, to make sure that students whose parents have chosen to enroll their kids in public charters uh, are funded uh, in the same way that uh, the students uh, receive that are in um, public local districts. So I, there there are a lot of things. I, I know we've got uh, not a lot of time to go over, but uh, but yeah, I've I've. Uh, got a lot accomplished. I'm grateful for that, but it's always a team effort and recognize that it's not just Doug Ritchie. Uh, there are a lot of people that are involved in, in being able to get legislation passed. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Glad you're back with me on Show Me Today. I'm Bill Pollack. Thanks for listening. Uh, Yesterday, there was a big celebration in Savannah, Missouri. That is the home of Missouri Special Olympian Charlie Phillips. And I had a chance to uh, talk with this character in January. This guy uh, cracked me up. Uh, He was selected uh, and qualified to go to the Special Olympics World Games in Berlin this summer. In fact, that just happened this past week. And uh, I remember talking with him uh, he was excited and proud to represent Missouri and the United States. And uh, this is a, a dream of his uh, that he had had uh, since a little kid when he watched the Olympics on TV. Michael Phelps, uh, Julie Woods, Alex Morgan, um, all of those people went to the Olympics. And I just said, I won't be like man. Well, he qualified. He set his goals, and he qualified for the Olympics, and then he uh, he just crushed it. He came away from the Berlin Games with two silver medals and a bronze medal in powerlifting. Now, he can deadlift. This is what Charlie did in uh, Berlin, 435 and a half pounds, <laughs> bench pressed 253 and a half, and then squatted 358 and a quarter pounds. So uh, big-time weight, uh, big-time medals for Charlie. So when he returned home, 
uh, they had a big celebration for him in his uh, hometown of Savannah. And uh, I remember uh, talking with him in uh, January. He was he was laser focused, and he said that uh, he was going to train and then uh, enjoy some of the sightseeing. But he was not going to try any of that great German food or beer until after the competitions. So then he was going to let loose a little bit. So I wonder if he had a big stein or not while uh, he was there. But, yeah, I enjoyed uh, talking with him. He he cracked me up. And, uh, man, you talk about setting goals and then accomplishing them. Uh, What an inspiration. So, Charlie, uh, we're all happy for you. And uh, I'll have to try to get him back on the show and uh, find out uh, whether or not he uh, tried some German food and, and, and some of that great beer. So. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, A couple of other things that are going on uh, this week. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey will be in the match. This is that uh, golf uh, exhibition uh, that will pit the Chiefs duo against Steph Curry and Clay Thompson from the Golden State Warriors. And Patrick and Kels uh, sharpened their golf games at Patrick's charity golf event in Hawaii this past weekend. Steve Weich from the NFL Network caught up with Patrick, uh, who was doing some trash talking. Yeah, I scheduled it perfect timing. I wanted to make sure I had a tournament-type atmosphere as kind of the tournament before the match. And uh, I'm going to go win this one first, and then I'm going to go beat Steph and Clay with uh, Travis Kelsey with me. <laughs> uh, well, Kels, uh, Mahomes says, look, Kelsey's not the weakest link. It's not my guy. It's not my guy. Sorry, Clay. I think it's you. Um, it's nothing personal, but... Uh, I think Travis is ready to roll. <laughs> uh, let, I, listen, I've seen Patrick uh, golf. I've seen Steph Curry on this, and, and Curry can hit the ball too. Uh, so the match, as it's called, will be uh, at 5.30 on Thursday, and you can watch it on TNT, True TV, or HLN. And uh, two former Kansas City high school wrestling state champs are preparing for international tournaments. Maddie Kubicki of Park South High School landed on Team USA for the Grand Prix of Spain July 7th through the 9th. And Haley Ward of Fort Osage will join Team USA for the Pan American Championships the 6th through the 8th in Chile. Uh, Both Maddie and Haley are four-time Missouri State High School champs. And that's incredible. You know, we've had uh, Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, the executive director of MISHA, uh, on Show Me Today before. And, and we've talked a, a couple of different times about the, the growth of girls wrestling over the last five years here in the state of Missouri. And now uh, we have a couple of wrestlers that uh, have moved on to the uh, uh, national and, uh, and now international stage. So uh, good luck to Maddie and Haley. Uh, best of luck. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Missouri.